Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the TF1 podcast. This is your humble host, Trey, bringing you the Saudi GP review. All right, there's a lot to talk about as always and as usual. So let's get right into it. Let's go. All right, everybody. So we've had, uh, uh, I want to say, drama-filled weekend in in the Saudi Arabian weekend that just passed. Um, I don't want to say just drama. Of course, we had a great race to watch also. But interestingly, this weekend, uh, before we even had the races and actually starting from that Friday and also Saturday in qualifying, we had a couple of things going on uh, that set off the weekend, in, the race weekend in, un, you can say in an unusual uh, fashion. So just to begin with, before even getting to, um, you know, the big factor that happened in qualifying uh, with the accident that Mick Schumacher had in his Haas, which was a very uh, scary, you know, uh, scary image that we all saw when in qualifying uh, Mick Schumacher happened to hit, he lost control of his Haas vehicle. Uh, he lost control right at the exit of turn 10. He was in Q2 vying to get his car into Q3. And, uh, you know, we've seen how much big strides that the Haas vehicles have taken. You know, they've produced a really competitive car this year. So Mick Schumacher was 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 battling it out right after exit turn. And he just happened to hit the barriers really, really hard. I mean, the G forces, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they said after the race that, uh, the the impact was about 70 g so you can just imagine how scary that was so that was a very scary sight for everybody um he was uh checked by the medical team on the ground which is always done for drivers and then after that just because of the extreme nature of the way his car crashed uh, they also airlifted him to the hospital uh, just to, for precautionary reasons, uh, just to double check. And it seemed, thankfully, um, we're all really glad everything is okay. Thankfully, everything was fine. So they released him uh, from the hospital that night. So like I said, it, even before the races happened Sunday, we, we had a couple of things going on that were... Uh, pretty scary. You know, this Saudi Arabian track, you know, if you remember, uh, there was a major accident last year as well. This tr- track is, you know, for ex- for as exciting as it is being the fastest track on the F1 calendar, it's also really dangerous. And it seems like every year we go there, there is either in qualifying or race, there's a scary accident that happens. So, you know, they made modifications to the track this year to add some visibility to it. And, but you can see yet again for, you know, we, we all understand, obviously motor racing is dangerous, but for some reason, this track, the way it's configured and sometimes the, you know, drivers have explained that they, they don't have the best visibility because there's a lot of corners and there's a lot of extremely fast corners. So 
it's leading when the, when the drivers lose control, it's leading to some scary accidents. So, you know, I, I don't know what's, uh, what, you know, the FIA and formula one are going to decide for next year, but this is, you know, as much as it produces a good race, it's, it's a really dangerous track. Now, speaking of danger on the track, uh, the danger just wasn't from the barriers. There was unfortunately danger off the track in Saudi Arabia too. So on Friday, there was a plume of smoke uh, not far from uh, the track. Uh, There was um, an attack um, on one of the refineries in in Saudi Arabia. So uh, I believe a missile um, hit that um, hit that refinery. So there was a huge, huge plume of smoke that was actually visible while the cars were driving around. So, you know, this is one of those situations where real life off the track uh, intersects with the decision making of F1. You know, the outside world um, sometimes makes you pause. So, you know, the, the security of the track was in question, the security of the drivers, the personnel, you know, the, the F1 contingency that holds a lot of people, you know, you're talking about, you know, mechanics, engineers, just everything that's needed to run, um, such a big operation like formula one. So, like I said, there was a lot going off Uh, There's a lot going on off the track because the stakeholders of F1 were called to an emergency meeting on Saturday. So you are talking about the drivers, you're talking about the team principals, representatives of F1. uh, They had to have a closed door meeting um, in order to decide whether they wanted to continue the race and, you know, if things were safe in Saudi Arabia. So um, it it just makes you, you know, just gives you cause for pause, obviously, because uh, there's a lot of policies and things that happen in Saudi Arabia that you you may be able to argue uh, go contrary to F1 policy. But um, again, you know, this is a sporting show, obviously. Um, It's not a political show. So I'll let you all come to your all, you know, your own conclusions. But that was a reality that uh, the F1 community faced on Saturday. Uh, finally, after, like I said, it was a, an intensive closed door meeting of four hours. Um, there was actually not a lot of information coming out that day from F1, uh, even from journalists who were on the ground. So. Well, we later learned that uh, the race was going to go ahead. So those items happened um, on Friday and Saturday. And so uh, that kind of overshadowed the poll that Perez, uh, the driver for Red Bull, you know, that he got. He had a superb drive uh, to order in order to claim pole, you know, getting pole throughout his career, uh, Sergio Perez, he's always been a strong driver on the track, but his, his one weakness is he's been a really poor qualifier, poor qualifier over one lap. And he managed to snag that on Saturday. So 
that was a big deal. Um, that that should give him a lot of confidence because there's not a whole lot of teammates that have been beside Max Verstappen that have been able to out-qualify him. So that was the setting that we had going into the race. So uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, in fact, if, before I even get there, speaking of qualifying, actually, I want to touch on one other thing that was very shocking um, just getting into the situation in Saudi Arabia, I, I failed to mention, um, it was shocking on the TV for all of us to see Lewis Hamilton and a Mercedes was booted out in Q1. He actually did not even make it to second qualifying. And so again, I, I just reminisced in shock, like, Everybody else who, you know, who was watching that, I, I don't remember the last time we haven't seen one Hamilton, who is statistically the best qualifier in F1 history, but also Mercedes. Like, you know, I couldn't even tell you the last time I haven't seen them in Q3. That, that just simply does not happen. So... He was to in the dying moments of Q1, Lewis Hamilton was actually 15th, literally until I want to say the last 30 to 40 seconds. And then what happens next is uh, the Austin Martin in Stroll, uh, in Stroll's hands, he was on a hot lap, like literally within the last, like I said, few seconds, dying seconds. And then Stroll came in better lose Hamilton's uh, time and knocked him off to 16 within the last 30 seconds. So that was extremely, extremely shocking. Um, it, it's not something that none of us expect to see. So I think everybody had a collective gasp when that happened. Um, it just, I guess, further underlines the struggles that Mercedes are having this season that we normally never, ever see. Um, so, but I'll get into, I'll get into the Mercedes struggles, um, a little bit later on in depth, uh, in this podcast. But so that sets up the race for us. Um, we have, we've had with the Saudi race, another thrilling, Battle. Um, we can see how much these 2022 rules have really improved how, you know, drivers can really race and pass each other. You can see how when they're in the DRS zone, we saw that in several different uh, portions of the race. We saw the magnificent battle between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen. These guys, keep in mind, um, for folks that may not be aware, Charles and Max have been racing each other since their go-kart days. You're talking about since they were 14, 15 years old. So there is a skill set that you have, you know, you have to have when you're on the top in F1. And not only do these two gentlemen have that skill set, but they also know each other. So seeing the strategies that those two play, sometimes letting the other driver pass and then catching him in the DRS zone. This is something new that we've seen, especially that Leclerc has has successfully uh, employed in the first race in Bahrain. And now 
Max Verstappen towards the end, he successfully used that and and uh, got the better of Charles Leclerc. So the race results for Saudi were Max came in first, second, as I mentioned, is Charles Leclerc, and third coming in for uh, Ferrari is Carlos Sainz. So just within these first two races, I mean, it, you know, how amazing is it to see the amount of consistency coming from Ferrari? They've already, they've been on the podium, both races so far, they're, they're bagging really important constructor points right now. So it was a thrilling, you know, race between the two, but that's, that was not the only battles that were on the track. You had a, a teammate battle that got a little bit dangerous between Alcon and Alonso. Um, you know, Alcon was not letting up. It was a thrilling back and forth. Now, like I said, it, it got a little bit costly, unfortunately, for the team because Alonso didn't make it in the end. But uh, Alcon is very feisty this year. You can really tell that he also wants to make sure that the team recognizes that he's not a second uh, fiddle or a second driver to Alonso. So he's really driving very hard in order to prove that. Um, it, again, in the midfield, you're seeing, uh, well, not in the midfield, but above the midfield, you're seeing, again, Haas and Kevin Magnussen, who actually had a battle with Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton came uh, all the way from 15th. Uh, he actually finished 10th. And so imagine, again, it seems weird to say this. We're talking about Lewis Hamilton, the, the, the championship winning, you know, car builder of the last eight years. We are talking about him coming from 15th to earn one point at, on, on a 10th, uh, on the coming in at 10th. And so there's actually a, a funny moment on the radio, you know, going back to Lewis Hamilton. Um, he's dejected. And so while he was talking to his engineer, um, like I said, his voice was dejected. And he was told by by his race engineer, Bono, that he was 10th. And you heard a reply back from Hamilton. Is there even a point they give out for being 10th? And he was told there was one point. So <laughs> as, as you know, funny as that sounds, it just, it, it's such an indication to you how coming in 10th, coming in that low, that this is like uncharted territory for, for Lewis. He's, he doesn't even have any idea what the point allocation is. When you're that further down, he's like, what do they even give points for where I am? Like it was an innocent question, but it just shows you when you've operated at the top, this is just uncharted, unknown territory for him. So that was really interesting to hear just to kind of set uh, the table for you guys when I was telling you when Lewis was uh, eliminated from qualifying in Q1, you know, the shock of everybody, just to put that into perspective, the last time that Lewis Hamilton was actually eliminated from Q1 in qualifying was all the way back in 2009 in the British GP. Think about that for a quick moment. 2009 was the last time that happened to Lewis. 
and we're in 2022. So yeah, that just, you know, that just kind of lets you know, um, just how long ago that was that we've never seen anything like that. So, but just coming back to the race, like I said, we saw some magnificent driving all over, uh, you know, the racetrack, you had a good recovery drive from Lando Norris from McLaren. Um, again, they, they seem to be another team with Mercedes that are having a struggle right now. Uh, comments that Lando Norris made after the race, he said, this was just a track, the Saudi Arabia track was just a track that really suited them. He said, you know, if there are more tracks like Bahrain that have a lot of slow corners, he really still expects their car to struggle. So we're just going to have to wait and see, you know, you can of course never predict an F1 when a team is, you know, going to maybe get some items on the car that's going to help them uh, come up the ranks. But right now, McLaren is definitely struggling. But speaking of struggling teams, I alluded to this earlier. The one glaring, glaring thing that all of us as F1 fans are seeing is the struggles in general that Mercedes are having. Now, Russell uh, did a very good job in, in the second Mercedes, even though Lewis Hamilton struggled. Russell actually came in fifth. So he is, you know, really running a solid, uh, a solid you know, job for Mercedes because it's very crucial at this point when their car is not up to par with Ferrari and Red Bull. It, it, I, I hate to say this, but it, it it's not even close right now. You know, both Hamilton, of course, Hamilton did not have a good race this race, as we mentioned, but both him and Russell have showed even not armed with the best car, they get every ounce out of the car. So Russell got really good points for the team coming in fifth. And again, we understand, you know, this Mercedes car right now is just not in the best window. So what's going on? Why why are Mercedes struggling? And, and what exactly is the struggle, right? That's That's the big question, right? That's what we're wondering. This is uh, as I said before, this is not something we're used to seeing. So when you hear the, the driver comments and even the leadership at Mercedes, whether it's on the technical side or whether it's from their leader, Toto Wolf, uh, one thing that is very admirable and that I appreciate is there is nobody in the team from the drivers or the leadership that are telling you that everything is okay. Mercedes, whether they're successful or when they've had a bad race or like this year when they're struggling, the one thing, I don't care which, you know, uh, fan you are of which team, whether you're Red Bull, Alpine, whoever it is, one thing you have to respect is they will always say, hey, you know, our car is not up to snuff. We have definitely areas that we need to improve and we're not getting it done right now. And and they're very transparent about that. So according to the drivers, especially Lewis, when he uh, talked to journalists, the, the things that he outlined, and of course, drivers don't get too much into depth, but they're pretty transparent. He said, it's very clear 
within the last two races that the team is definitely missing downforce. And, you know, you, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be a race engineer to see that you, you can see that pace wise, they just simply do not have the downforce to compete with Ferrari and Red Bull. They do not right now. Um, another thing that, you know, um, George, uh, George Russell mentioned is, a major, major, you know, aspect of the problems of the car are still tied down to the vibrations that that Mercedes car is having. So, you know, like I said, almost every team, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, there's not one team with these current ground effect rules that hasn't suffered from that. The difference is depending on the styling and the design of the car, those teams that had those issues, some of them were able to get on top of it, i.e. example Ferrari, i.e. example Red Bull. They were able to tweak and get on top of the problem while they were in testing, either in, in, uh, Bar- uh, in Bahrain or the previous test before that in Barcelona. But with the Mercedes design, it you know because they came with the really radical, uh, I don't want to call it the B spec car, but you know the the car they brought to Bahrain for the second test in Bahrain, it was really different from the first version, and it's a very bold design. Mercedes are usually at the forefront of doing things like that, but so are the other teams. So when they came up with that radical design that doesn't even, you know, almost does not have a side pod, it's so different. Uh, Their car seems to suffer the most out of all the other big hitters. So uh, that has been causing them that that issue with the vibration has been causing and making them sacrifice other parts of the car, like the ride height, which they cannot adjust and they can't get as low as they want. So, you know, there's a fierce battle uh, behind the scenes with the engineers and, you know, the brain trust uh, that is back at the Mercedes factories. You know, if there's one team Um, that really works through adversity and, you know, tackles problems more than any other team in F1 history. That is Mercedes. And we've seen that in the past. Um, This is not the first time that, you know, Mercedes at the beginning of the season have maybe not been the strongest. But you can one thing you can say is traditionally, they're always the team that right out of the box Uh, they're very strong because they do a lot of miles. They iron out all the issues. So they're usually strong right from the beginning of the year. But like I said, this year has been a departure. This year has been different. So we just, you know, like anything else, we have to wait and see what they're able to bring um, in the next, you know, in the next couple of races. You have Australia coming up. You know, between Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, you were not going to see any change in the car because that the, the the races were one week apart. So that doesn't give the factories and, and the main guys enough time uh, to go ahead and, you know, bring new parts to these cars. So 
again, you know, is this going to be a situation where it's going to take four or five races? Is this going to be a situation maybe where we might see a slight, uh, uh, slight better performance, maybe in Australia, and then they're going to build up to that, especially when all the teams, you know, head over to Imola and to Europe. We're just going to have to wait and see, you know, it's a waiting game. The thing to keep in mind in F1 is it's not just a matter of Mercedes catching up. Um, (laughs) The thing about this sport that's kind of brutal when it comes to the development war is Yes, Mercedes is trying to catch up, but remember, Mercedes is actually behind now trying to catch up. But those guys up front, Red Bull and Netflix, I mean, they're not chilling somewhere just sitting down. You know, those guys are also pushing their cars. So it it becomes sometimes in F1 a cat and mouse game because you may have made some gains to catch up, but by the time you reach that line, that team that you're chasing has now moved the line a couple of inches forward. So, again, it's going to be a very interesting uh, development to see. You know, personally, I think all of us, uh, you know, want to see Mercedes involved in the fight. So now it becomes not just a, a you know, a two-horse game seeing Red Bull and uh, Ferrari, which is great to see this great racing, but... You also want Mercedes, like I said in the last podcast, to join to join that battle. You want them to make it a three horse race, and then we're uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we're gonna be in for um, some some amazing battles and races if you have six drivers at the top involved instead of just four. So let's wait and see how how that plays out, but. Um, Yes, so this concludes the Saudi Arabian GP review. As always, I just want to thank each and every one of you that are um, listening to this podcast from all parts of the globe. Uh, Please support and subscribe. And if you are listening on an Apple platform, uh, please make sure if you can to to give us a five-star rating. I hope uh, you guys have a great rest of your week and I'll catch up with you on the next race. Thank you and goodbye.